Good morning. Uh, Jonah chapter 2 in your Bibles. Jonah chapter 2. We are in the last week of community group for our reading through Gentle and Lowly. If you need a copy, I still see a very interesting spiral stacked case back there on the table. This is Holly's copy that I just robbed from her purse. Sorry. Thank you very much. There you go. You can have it back. Uh, Just needed it for display purposes. Uh, 4.30 tonight for ours, Thursday night for the other. Um, and uh, we're to chapter 22 and 23, last few, last few pages. Take you about 15 minutes to knock those out. And we've been using the book of Jonah last week. We started with the book of Jonah to kind of hit at this idea of God's relentless mercy um, toward us that's manifested toward Jonah. It's manifested toward those on the ship with him. And it's uh, manifested toward the Ninevites through Jonah as well. And we were talking about how one of the things we noticed in chapter 1 is how this is all just a precursor for God's ultimate display of mercy toward us in the person of Jesus, right? So Jonah heard a word from God. Jesus is the word of God. Jonah was selfish, did what he wanted. Jesus was selfless and did what the Father wanted. Jonah served and was willing to serve when it was convenient, when it was comfortable uh, for him. And Jesus considered himself nothing and he gave up everything in service to the Father and to us. Jonah was resentful and he was unmerciful toward the people on the boat who were delivering him (laughs) as a favor. Um, And he was unmerciful toward Nineveh, did not want to show God's mercy to them. Unlike that, Jesus is very kind and compassionate toward us, Jonah included. Uh, Jonah was guilty before the Father. He was reluctant to bear God's judgment. He didn't want to be tossed out into the ocean, but eventually came to this conclusion. Jesus, on the other hand, was completely innocent and willingly bore God's judgment on our behalf. Over and over again, the story is showing us that God is relentlessly merciful, relentlessly merciful. And we're going to see that again in Jonah chapter 2. Uh, so if you'll stand with me and read, uh, we're going to read all of chapter 2 together. Let's stay together. Jonah chapter 2. I'm actually going to start with 117, and then we'll go into chapter, chapter 2. 117, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from, the, from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple." The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. 
You may, you may be seated. Okay, so it's, um, it's been like seven or eight years since this happened, but you, you may recall the story of a large group of Chilean miners mining in their, in their country uh, in the Atacama Desert working deep inside the mountain. They're looking for copper. They're looking for gold. They're looking for all kinds of minerals. And they started to feel vibrations deep down under the mountain. There was a huge explosion. And these men uh, were trapped deep, deep beneath the earth uh, due to this explosion. There were, do you remember how many? Do you remember how many? 13. Nope, keep going. That's the soccer team in Thailand, maybe. There were 33 miners sealed inside this mountain. Um, the, the New York Times article that I read said there were 770,000 tons of stone on top of them, which, by the way, is twice the weight of the Empire State Building, to give you an idea. So it's interesting what happens. They were in there for 69 days. They survived for 69 days. They were eventually uh, released. What's interesting is what they did when they were there for 69 days. Here's what the New York Times says. The men organized themselves into work shifts. They participated in daily prayer sessions. They rationed their emergency food supply into one meal a day, which was two cookies and a spoonful of tuna. Um, They found water uh, in industrial waste containers where they were trapped, and so they drained that water and drank that. Uh, they ate that one meal at noon, uh, which was about 300 calories, which held them until noon the next day. Eventually, they would learn how to make soup. They, would, they found a, an air filter in a truck, and then uh, they would take a can of tuna, and they would uh, mix it with some water and a little bit of motor oil for flavoring. Uh, sounds sounds ex- <laughs> for flavoring. Like, you know what we could do? We could add some motor oil. This is where they are. So it's a little bit, right, it's, it's, it's low salt. Um, they had an area that they set aside called the refuge where they would sleep uh, for the first few days. Um, and, quote, the, the scent begins to gather and cook where they were sleeping, which would transform the air into a stew of body odor. 69 days. Uh, one, of the, one of the miners who uh, later uh, would describe this. He said, I, I have smelled corpses before, and it was much worse than that. A society began to develop. They would play checkers made from cardboard and dominoes made from pieces of plastic that they would, you know, manufacture, that they would find and just manufacture dominoes to stir their time. And they would, you know, th- occasionally think they'd hear drill. I mean, they have no idea if anybody's coming for them or not, but they have this whole society of things. But it's survival... And a part of that survival is prayer. This is where Jonah has found himself. You remember the story in chapter 1, and he's just recounted it through the prayer that we've, that we've read. But this is where Jonah is. He thinks he is rightfully dying, and yet God in his mercy scoops him up in the belly of a fish. Uh, look at verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, for a while there, I wrestled with the reality of this. Um, 
this this story, uh, one of the commentators that I read said, this study, this story has frustrated many a scholar who want the Bible to be full of benign stories and truths that are easily explained. The problem is the Bible is full of stories that that, that are <laughs> that you just can't explain, uh, that you that are not easily digested. Um, so I, while part of me is like, I mean, really. When I go on to consider my statement of faith, believing Jonah is actually very easy. Um, it, so if you, if you get hung up on the idea that God could use a very large fish or a mammal like a whale or something like that to swallow up a human being and keep him alive for three days, just keep reading. Because eventually the Holy Spirit is going to conceive a child in a 14-year-old virgin. And God, who is also man, is going to live a perfect life. Um, And then he's going to die like he's the worst human ever lived. And then he's going to come out of a tomb three days later. And then he's going to leave by just floating away. And then he's going to come back later riding a white horse. Like, that's my statement of faith. You understand what I'm saying? So if, if Jonah gives you some, you know, problem, like believing this, it's not the hardest thing to swallow, pun intended. Okay. So I don't have any, any problem that God could orchestrate this, and he does so because he's merciful toward Jonah. And he's got, he's got a purpose and a plan for Jonah that Jonah was running away from, but as I said last week, God has more ways of catching up with Jonah than Jonah has of running away from him, and God has caught him with a fish. And now he's in this, he's in this belly of a fish. Now you might question um, my characterization of Jonah here. Um, that, that God is somehow being merciful to him, that God is somehow being compassionate toward him by putting him in this position. But Jonah thought he was getting death. Remember what he said. He said, this judgment that's happening on the ship, it's my fault. Throw me into the ocean to die, which is I will, I will now die so that you all can live. I don't want to do this. I wanted to say sleeping down in the belly of this, of this boat, but now throw me over and God in his mercy doesn't allow Jonah to experience that judgment. He pushes the judgment away and instead rescues him and gives him life. God did not abandon him. And I think, if you're, we were talking about this in Sunday school this morning, and we were just singing about it uh, with the song from, from, from John, uh, it, is in, it is in the painful places where we learn to live. It's in the dark ugly, hard, frustrating, difficult, trying circumstances of our life that we learn to live, truly live. A belly of a fish is not a great place to live. It's a great place to learn how to live. It is in the, it's in the challenges of our character where we, where we learn to grow and be like the kind of people that God wants us to be. And that's what happened to Jonah in the belly of the whale. Look at his prayer. Look at verse 2-1. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, 
from the belly of the fish. That sentence alone is in direct contrast to the Jonah we just read about in chapter 1, right? In chapter 1, Jonah slept in the bottom of a ship running away from God, and it's the pagans who are doing the praying. Chapter 2, in the belly of a whale, Jonah is doing the praying. Jonah on the ship ignored the request of the pagans to join them in prayer while they prayed to their gods in hopes of something happening. And now in the belly of the whale, Jonah is doing the praying. It's in the dark, slimy, I'm assuming it's slimy. I don't know. I'm assuming it's not you know, dry. The belly of a whale or jelly of a fish, Jonah is praying. This is the man who sought to flee God's presence, was now seeking God's presence. Why? Because he's in the belly of a whale. The one who thought he could escape God now is know for certain that he can't be without God. Why? Because he's in the belly of a fish. That's where, isn't that, doesn't that happen to us? Those difficult, dark trying places which are actually a place of God's mercy in our life, teaching us that we can't be without Him. So look at verses 2 through 3. Jonah says in his prayer, I called to the Lord in my distress, and He answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside. Sheol, you heard my voice when you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. Look at verse 3. When who? You threw me into the depths. Jonah has no problem identifying the Lord as sovereign over the most horrible event of his life. If you go back in the narrative, it's... Jonah asking to be thrown. It's the sailors doing the throwing, reluctantly, if you'll remember. Uh, But here in the prayer, it is God who is the one who has cast Jonah into the sea. And the cold waves and the breakers of the ocean threatening to take Jonah's life. Those are whose billows? Whose waves? They are the Lord's. The great fish was no accident, and Jonah knew what we must all know, that we are not abandoned. We are not abandoned into a world of chance. If you're in Sunday school this morning, this had to have come up as you look through the narrative of of Isaac and and Jacob's lives and, and and the complete weirdness of their choices, contradicting faith in every respect. There's every reason in the world for God to throw up his hands again and say, I can't believe this is happening. I'm not, I'm not going to deal with you people anymore. But instead, God is so merciful and so faithful and so gracious and so good that he's weaving and using all of our issues to fulfill his plan of bringing his son to this world on our behalf. He's doing it sovereignly. Nothing. We are not abandoned to a world of our own choices, of our own irrational chance. God is working in and through those things, and Jonah recognizes that in his prayer. How could he not? Because he's in the belly of a fish and he's alive when he should be dead. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, I have been banished from your sight, and yet I will look again toward your holy temple. What's going on here? This is, <laughs> this is bold. 
because if you if you think about it, Jonah has um, what's the, what's the way? He, he's not been obedient. <laughs> Let's just put it that way, right? He's been pretty prideful. He's been pretty stubborn. He's been pretty selfish. He's only wanted to do what he has wanted to do, and therefore, if you take that. On the face of it, he should not be allowed to be in the presence of God. He is unworthy to approach God. The, the just judgment on his life taking place in this moment indicates that he ought to turn inward to himself rather than up to the Lord. But the biblical answer to that is no. There is nothing that you... I've said this so many times, I I apologize, but maybe repetition is good. There's just nothing we can do that would lead God to love us any less. Regardless of how we stray, regardless of how God may discipline us, there is always hope with the Lord. There's there's no place for despair with the God of the Bible, with with, with Jesus. This is what we've been reading about in... And Orland's book is just relentlessly merciful, relentlessly gracious, relentlessly loving toward us. So in those places of despondency, in those places of hopelessness, in those places where you think God has cast you off, here is Jonah who was actually circumstantially cast off and he still looked to the Lord because he knew that the Lord was merciful. How did he know that the Lord was merciful? Well, beyond the fact that he's been saved by uh, a fish, which is crazy, if you remember, his mission was to bring what? Mercy to Nineveh. He knew the character of God. He knew it, and now he's experiencing it. And so he, in his prayer, he actually turns to the Lord, and he says in verses 5 through 7, look with me, the engulfing waters threatened me, The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now, why would God bother Why would he bother with Jonah? Why not just find another prophet? Because he could do that, right? He's sovereign. He's God. He could say, well, Jonah, you know, nice try, but I guess I'll go with this other guy. Sub and bring in another, you know, like attack. But it's not what he does. God intends to use Jonah as a sign. Um, Jonah's life, as we'll see in the next two weeks, Jonah's life will embody the message that he's going to preach. Jonah is, is, is an example of, of what it means to be a preacher, which is to say you often, often have to wrestle and experience with what you're going to lay down in front of the congregation. And also for you, this is what this means. If you're just, it's not for preachers, it's for, it's for you. It means that the things that you have wrestled with are the things that you're going to minister with. It means that the, the struggles and the challenges and the things that we learn about our faith and about the Lord and our life are, the, are, are preparing us for the very ministry that we'll do with people who are going down those same paths. 
Jonah's life is going to testify to the fact that God judged a sinner without partiality, found him guilty, cast him into the abyss, and then it will testify to the fact that from that that abyss, the Lord will lift up this guilty and condemned sinner into a new life and a new place of service. Because why? He is merciful. Jonah's going to preach what he knows, not just what he believes. You know the difference? The Lord was saying to Jonah, if you're not going to preach this message to the Ninevites, then I'll just preach it to you. I'm going to make you a picture about my justice. I'm going to make you a picture about my mercy. I'm going to make an example of you for the very words you're going to say now to the Ninevites. Which is why Jonah ends his prayer. Look at verse 8 and 9. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me... Verse 8 was Jonah. But as for me, the new Jonah, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is a beautiful picture of repentance in response to the mercy of God that's been shown to him. So if you're in a place of despair... If you're in a place of despondency, if you're in a place of darkness, if you're in, dis- if you're in a place uh, where you wonder if there's any hope, what we have here in this story is a picture of God's mercy and provision for you. Don't despair. Be saved. God is good and he is, he is with you. He is for you. He's providing for you in the person of Jesus. And I hope that you would believe and have a new life. And what this says to us as a church is that we have to be a church that models the whole gospel. That yes, there is a, a God and his, in His righteousness He judges sin. And yes, there is a God in His love. He provides and restores life. He's judged sin in His own Son. Mercifully restoring life to anybody who would believe. And that's a, that's a message that the, the church has to preach both sides of. Otherwise, it's not a message at all. And God was merciful to Jonah and he's going to be merciful to us. Jonah, to Jonah, he appointed a fish to swallow him up for three days and three nights. And to his son, the Lord appointed his son to a tomb for three days. And in that tomb, he would be resurrected. And, and, and he would set the stage for what you and I will also experience in our death, getting new bodies in a new heaven and a new earth. Because God is good, He's merciful, He is for us in our darkest places. That's why we're going to take communion today. We're going to remember where God judged sin, and we're going to remember where God gave life in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's pray together today, and then we'll go into our time of, of communion and response. Father, we're, we're thankful, continually thankful for this story, this picture where we have, um, we have mercy demonstrated to a person who was, by definition, unworthy because of his disobedience. And you weren't, you weren't um, blind to his disobedience. There was judgment for sin, but there was mercy and there was life given, raised up to a new purpose. Lord, it's a beautiful picture of what you do for us in Christ. You show us the futility of us trying to live 
a life that's good enough to be, um, that's good enough for you to be approve of. We just can't do it. We are curved in on ourselves. You show us the futility of that, and you send your son to live the life we could not live, and then the very one, he pays the very price that we deserve on our behalf. And we could just trust in your goodness and your mercy toward us through that end. If we just trust and believe, Lord, then you apply to us what is true about him. Thank you for being so merciful. Thank you for being so kind, so loving, persistently so, unendingly so. May we believe and be a church that preaches this truth holistically. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.